Hello and welcome. I'm Eric. And I'm John. And this is the Wikipedia Chronicles. podcast where we start with a random article, explore it, then follow the links and see where it takes us. John, what do you got? Uh, something pretty recent, actually, which is something I feel like we don't get a lot on this <laughs> podcast. Nope. Operation Black Swan. It was a uh, joint Mexican-American military operation that resulted in the capture of the Sinaloa cartel leader, Joaquin El Chapo Guzman. Uh, following a deadly firefight in the city of Las Mochis, Sinaloa, Sinaloa, on the 8th of January, 2016. Oh, wow. So, yeah. Very this recent. was uh, very recent. And I do remember hearing about this in the news. Um, Joaquin, henceforth referred to as El Chapo, because that's <laughs> the only thing I've heard him called. I, yeah, I feel like I've heard him. Yeah, Joaquin Guzman, it makes him sound like he's Luis Guzman's like, <laughs> cousin, and I don't like that thought, so yeah. El Chapo it is. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, but yeah, that's what I have. There's a fair amount more about this, and of course we can go into the uh, largest currently operating drug cartel very mm. easily from this. But We haven't really talked much about drug cartels. On we haven't. We've talked about drugs, but about the... And, and cartels. About the mafia. But <laughs> yeah. British school but cartels. Drug cartels. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that's a new... That That's a hybrid. Yeah. That's one we have not done. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. But on the other hand, on the maybe slightly more positive side of things, what do you have, Eric? Well... <laughs> Okay, I don't uh, like that response. The name of my article is Bakri Ibni, mm. and this is a Malaysian former football player who represented the Malaysian national football team in the 1970s and early 80s. All right, so Operation Blast 1? Absolutely. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing against Malaysian football players, but... Drug cartels got you beat. They do. I mean, we've done a lot of sports, and I think mm-hmm. we have done an absolute hack job of explaining most <laughs> of them. So I don't think yeah. we want to do that. I think, if anything, let's learn about something that's, at least as of now, maybe this is going to date the podcast in the long run, <laughs> but at least as of now, is, relatively speaking, pretty recent, and maybe even slightly important, yeah. considering how American-Mexican relations may... Uh, <laughs> be uh going uh forward uh yes uh yeah it's nice to see mexico and america working together doing something mm-hmm. doing something good mm-hmm. doing something productive that both can benefit from uh, doing something uh co- co- constructive yes tearing mm-hmm. down some, some walls <laughs> See, I'm, I'm future-proofing it a little bit because, like, I'm mentioning, I'm mentioning the wall as though it's there. Anyway, well, <laughs> I'm sure it would take well after um, the presidency of one term to 
complete yeah, said wall. Yeah, yeah, that that is. It true. would take several presidencies. It would take to several. It would be. It would be something quite that a large of an undertaking. Yeah, I mean, China, China still worked on theirs for for hundreds of years. Oh yeah, and theirs wouldn't be anywhere. So I don't. I don't yeah, know. I mean, like, sure, it's the modern world and all, but that's neither here nor there. Where yes, here is we we are in drug cartel territory. Yes, and most more specifically, we are in Las Mochis, Sinaloa, Mexico. Um, officials in the Mexican government announced that the uh, operation, which is, again, Operation Black Swan, was planned and executed by the FES, which stands for Fuerzas Especiales, uh, and that they had officially, or originally, rather, targeted an important Sinaloa cartel assassin at a home in Las Mochis, hmm. which, and happened to find Guzman as well. He was just there. They didn't really actually mean to find the leader of the drug cartels. They were going to perform a sting on an assassin, and he happened to be there. Wow, that's uh, that's pretty good. I I guess so. I mean, that's like fight like going into that's like going into Walmart, and then there just being a gold bar there, and it being one dollar, and you're just like. Why? And it's like, doesn't matter. And the salesperson comes up to you and says, doesn't matter. This is the last one. This is the only one we ever got. Yep. Here you go. It's yours. I don't even want it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> like, that, that, that does, it shouldn't happen. Yeah. Why would this guy even be close to people that might be getting stung by the police? Is I feel what, like this could be a good adaptation for Seth Rogen and David Franco to make. Uh, as like a comedic ap- adaptation of real events. Forget David Franco. I'm thinking Larry David. Like he goes to visit, <laughs> he goes to visit his assassin buddy, and then the cops bust him and throw him in jail. Like, can you hear a boom, boom, boom? That's true. Playing up to that any better? I mean, oh, yeah. <laughs> that would be pretty tops. Pretty it really tops. is a curb your enthusiasm episode. <laughs> it really is. Just kind of waiting to happen. I mean, there are there, there's more seasons coming. I mean, yeah. they could do something along these lines. Um, in any case, uh, U.S. government officials announced that members of the United States Army's Delta Force and the United States Marshals Service assisted the Mexican Navy in the January 8th mission and that they will also pursue the extradition of Guzman to the United States. Which you can't I can't take the name Guzman seriously. I know, sorry. <laughs> they will pursue the extradition of El Chapo to the United States. You know, this is a really rare instance that El Chapo is somehow able to be taken more seriously than Guzman. Because Guzman... Yeah. Man. Uh, anyway, El Chapo had been on the run since he escaped from a federal prison the first time. Uh, <laughs> the prison uh, in... Almoloya de Juarez in Mexico on July 11th of 2015. Okay, so how how long had he been out of jail? In six months? Yeah, he managed to stay out for six months, but I don't understand. He seemed like he had a really good run before, until 2015, and then as soon as he was out, he was just like, I guess he just didn't <laughs> care as much. Yeah, I don't is. know why he was clumsy at skipping town whenever the cops showed up all of a sudden. It seemed like he was fine with it before. Uh, in any case, 
On January 8, 2016, Mexican naval forces moved into position to raid a house in Las Mochis, Sinaloa, believed to be occupied by one of Guzman's top assassins or Sicarios. Okay, Sicario. That was a, that was a movie. It was a movie, and I never knew what the word meant. Now we know. Now I know. And also, I thought the first time I saw the um, name of the movie, I thought it was mm. Cicero. For some reason. <laughs> no, I mean, it could be a but, soft C. Like, they throw those in there every now and again in the uh, romance languages. Yeah. But, yeah, it's good to know uh, the actual meaning of that word. Yeah, after they uh, entered the building, after an intense, uh, intent, rather, an intense gun battle erupted between the Marines and several armed assailants, leaving five of the cartel gunmen dead and six wounded. One Marine was also hurt a little tiny bit. Um, but, uh, you know, the military training, as it turns out, is superior to the most uh, criminal <laughs> training. Um, during the chaos of the firefight, the Marines discovered uh, El Chapo, who fled the house through a series of tunnels and then attempted to escape in a stolen vehicle. So they caught him, but, you know, with considerable effort. Um, <laughs> I'm glad he had a series of tunnels in there, at least. I mean, it's a house, though. How many series of tunnels could there be? I feel like there would be a tunnel that would lead you one place. Not like there's yeah. not like a labyrinth under there. <laughs> like, yeah, it has to have something to have the house built on. Like the house is built on top of it. Like it, it can't just have a bunch of hollow ground. It would sink. <laughs> uh, in any case, the um, police and uh, marines discovered El Chapo, uh, who attempted to leave and escape in a stolen vehicle, and shortly thereafter he was spotted by federal agents and apprehended outside of a motel a short distance away from the house. Did he stop at the motel? Or? Was he thinking he was just going to get a room there <laughs> and be like, like yeah. all right, give me a room quick, I need to hide out. <laughs> uh, they're still following you, you realize we that. Can see, we, can see, we can hear the sirens, <laughs> we can see the lights, and we can see that they're coming directly towards us. It's nighttime. Like, this isn't... We can tell. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, the Mexican Navy reported that they found an arms cache at the house consisting of eight assault rifles, two M16 rifles with grenade launchers attached, two Barrette uh, M82 sniper rifles, and a loaded rocket-propelled grenade launcher. Hmm. Two armored cars were also seized, but I gotta be honest with you, for all the hullabaloo, that <laughs> seems like an awfully modest yeah, amount of weapons. That, it <laughs> like doesn't seem like as big of a loot as I was expecting. That means they could have maybe ten guys employed by them. Yeah. That there's one there's one car and one <laughs> gun for all, all ten of those guys. Beyond that, forget it. Yeah. So I'm not really... Sh I mean, maybe he just maybe he wasn't there for. I mean, if he was in this, if the guy that he was visiting was an assassin, it mm. would make sense that maybe he just has a couple of guns. That's true. As a because he yeah. only has two hands. Yeah, because it wasn't his house. He like his cartel probably would have had a lot more weaponry. Yeah, elsewhere. But because this guy just needs a couple. Right. Why put all your guns in one basket? You know? Right. Ooh, so from here we can go to we can go a little backward in time and look at the manhunt of El Chapo. I like that one. That one seems like the best option from here, honestly. If we want to go, I mean, we can either do that or just look up El Chapo himself. That's true. But I don't really get the know. full story. But maybe that specific article goes more into detail about 
what the pursuit of him was rather than his like personal life. And we can always go to the personal life, and there, there's not there's, going to not be a link to just that's him. That's true. That there's either either way. I'm sure there's a link to the other article within each of those articles. Right. Well, we started with the end, so we might as well go back and get the rest of the story. All right. Let's go to Manhunt of El Chapo. Guzman. <laughs> 20, 2001 to 2014. Oh, no. He looks a little bit like Luis Guzman, too. And I don't, <laughs> I'm not looks saying like, that lightly. He looks like a little bit like Louis Guzman and... Um, What's his face? Oh. I can't remember his name. Javier Bardem? No, no, no. It's, um... Javier, I should say. He he was uh, Mario in the Super Mario movie. Joe Pesci? No. No. I don't know why I thought Joe Pesci. (laughs) (laughs) Montaigne DeVito. Oh, man. That's right. a real obscure movie, though. You have to realize. I, like, yeah, not I'm, many people I'm have trying seen to it. think of a role that he would be memora- memorable. In. No, wait, maybe he played. Sorry, you'll get it. You'll get right, it. I'm, I'm, I'm coming. There we go. And okay. Oh no, no, no. He didn't play. He played Luigi. Oh, John Leguizamo. That's who oh, I'm thinking John Leguizamo. Yeah, he does look like a combination between John Leguizamo and uh, yeah. And Louis Guzman, yep. He really, really does. It's kind of weird. <laughs> yeah. Not at all what I was picturing. I was picturing no. more of, like, an older guy, I guess. Yeah. Well, I mean, he like, is older now. This is actually a picture of him in 1993. Oh, wow. So, so he's 20 years older now, so... Yeah, he, I, he's not a young dude. But, yeah, so... His cartel was known as Sinaloa. I don't know if that's at all the correct pronunciation, but I don't know. I've been pronouncing it something different every time I've said it so far, so I don't. I don't yeah, I one of these really times we'll get it right. Yeah, one of them will be right twenty percent of the time. <laughs> uh, but he dodged international manhunt for more than a decade, as evidenced by the dates on the article. After escaping a maximum security prison in the Mexican state of Jalisco, or Jalisco, I guess it would be, in 2001. So he escaped twice. Yeah. Second time, not so successful. Yes. <laughs> the first time, eh, it was pretty good. Yeah. Good 13-year run. Doesn't give like a born, like when he was born... This isn't the article about him. This is oh, when the manhunt was born. That's right. That's right. <laughs> the manhunt was born I, in 2001. Yeah, for some reason, I was thinking we were. The man born. was born. <laughs> I don't know. Sometime the a man. few years before 1993. <laughs> you know those drug cartels? They do yeah. raise them real quick. <laughs> All right. Yeah. So, like, throughout his criminal career, following his escape, he was pursued all across Mexico and abroad. And went from being an average-level drug lord to arguably the world's most wanted man. So not the way you're thinking. <laughs> yes, the uh, police world's most wanted man. There we go. <laughs> Public enemy number one. Yeah, that would be a better way to phrase that. <laughs> <laughs> and just taking a peek at the link to world's wo- most wanted. Um, in 2011, he was the world's most wanted man. And 
they have like random lists here. But uh, he he only took a back seat to Osama bin Laden. Wow. And then as soon as Osama was gone, they were like, okay, back up the you. top. <laughs> <laughs> yep. So uh, interesting. Uh, Mexico offered thirty million Mexican dollars, I guess, uh, about two point three U.S. dollars million U.S. dollars for his capture. And while the U.S. Uh, offered up to $5 million for information leading to his arrest and conviction. So, there's a lot of money going to whoever can bring this guy in. And in 1993, he was arrested and imprisoned for murder and drug trafficking, facing a 20-year sentence. Fearing his extradition to the U.S., Guzman, or El Chapo, fled from prison by reportedly hiding in a laundry cart in 2001. Okay. So, Simple I guess but that, effective. that works. I mean, you see it in the movies and you think, oh, that's... Yeah, uh, it seems kind of... Like, it seems like kind of a <laughs> stupid idea. But as it turns that, out... It works. Yeah. It gets him every time. <laughs> uh, but he quickly reincorporated back in the Sinaloa cartel while authorities continued their manhunt to re-arrest him. Uh, it's got to stink to have to re-arrest somebody. Yeah, like, ah, this guy again, we, we already had him, now we have to <laughs> find him and book him all over. It's probably a lot of paperwork, too. Yeah. Like, you probably do the exact same paperwork, <laughs> just with new dates. Yeah. All over again. You can't use the old <laughs> stuff. So, yeah, this... So, in 1993, he was arrested, and then... Eight years later, I guess, is when he broke out. And while on the run, he traveled with a large entourage of armed bodyguards equivalent to those of a head of state, using a vast surveillance network and bulletproof cars, aircraft, and all-terrain vehicles to avoid capture. And his elusiveness helped him craft a near-mythical persona and image in some parts of Mexico. There are several eyewitnesses reports that Guzman strolled into restaurants with his gunmen, ordering everyone to hand over their electronic devices and remain seated while, until he finished eating. When he finished, the drug lord left through the back door while the diners were informed that their tabs had been paid. And his whereabouts were a subject of Mexican folklore, with reports and rumors circulating that he was in many parts of Mexico, especially in an area known as the Golden Triangle a drug-producing region in the Sierra Madre Mountains where El Chapo grew up. But by late 2013, authorities began to penetrate El Chapo's security inner circle by arresting several of his top lieutenants, and through information, informant tips, wiretap phone calls, and confessions from his close associates, Mexican security forces got closer to his whereabouts. And after more than 13 years on the run, he was finally arrested in that thing that we started off in. So, wow, they, yeah, so Mexicans basically compare this capture and everything with uh, Pablo Escobar and Saddam Hussein and Osama bin Laden. That's uh, so it's a pretty pretty big deal to them. Yeah. So I guess he was uh, something of a important person to arrest. And 
Um, yeah, so the arrest ended his near-legendary status in Mexico's narco folklore for his elusiveness from law enforcement and stories of his life as an outlaw. And on July 2015, he escaped again through a tunnel inside his prison cell, but was caught six months after. Huh. And that, oh, that's the one that we talked about. So... So the first, when he was captured in 2014, it was in a beach resort Hmm. in Mazatan, Sinaloa. So... It's kind of embarrassing, though, that... (laughs) This legendary guy who ran the Sinaloa cartel keeps getting caught literally in Sinaloa. Yeah. <laughs> Mexico's not the biggest country on earth, but it's big enough. Yeah. It's and pretty sizable. If you're an internationally known cartel leader, <laughs> you may have to go to other nations and yeah. be international. Yeah. So it kind of boggles my mind that. Here's a guy who does have an international business, who's on the run from the law, mm-hmm. and is so high on his own ego that he can't bring himself to leave the one place that they'd be looking for him most. <laughs> like, yeah. that's, it, it seems to be a problem for him, because I don't understand any other motivation for staying right there. <laughs> That seems really, really dumb. Yeah. <laughs> and, it, and it has proven to be very, very dumb because he has now been caught X amount of times. Yes. <laughs> he yeah, I mean, he could go anywhere in Mexico. There's... He has the money. He could stop buying meals for people every time he wants to go out to eat. I'm sure there are islands or, you know, he could go to South America. Yeah. Like what's wrong with what's wrong with any of the other places every other drug cartel leader hides out? Why not just go to Colombia? Yeah. Throw them for a loop. They'll never look for you in Colombia. They already caught Pablo Escobar. Why would you be in Colombia? You're a Mexican cartel leader. Yeah. Well, any case, uh, now that we have a summary of the story, we can kind of delve into the uh, more uh, intricate parts beginning with his arrest and prison escape. And I'm assuming this means his original arrest. Um, This goes back to 1993. On June 9th of that year, El Chapo, the former leader of the Sinaloa cartel, was arrested in Guatemala following a massive manhunt to arrest him and other traffickers involved in the murder of the Mexican cardinal Juan Jesus Posadas Ocampo, who was mistakenly killed by the Tijuana cartel during an attack aimed at El Chapo. (laughs) So Tijuana, you know of as being kind of, it was a sketchy place for a very long time. Uh, Very, uh, like it was a hot button issue town. Mm -hmm. In the United States, we know it as being the town that was like always involved in firefights and stuff. Like there was a lot of gunfire, a lot of very, very cartel driven town. So it, it does kind of strike me as funny though that he was arrested in... Well, he was be- he was arrested for basically being around while being <laughs> shot at, and somebody got happened to get in the way and mm-hmm. got killed instead. Like that that doesn't seem. Hmm. <laughs> Maybe there's more details to that whole situation. Maybe he like used him as a human shield or something. I don't know. Yeah, it could be. 
Following his arrest, he was extradited to Mexico and imprisoned at the Federal Social Readaptation Center Number no. 1, <laughs> often referred to simply as La Palma or Altiplano, if you're into the whole brevity thing. <laughs> uh, maximum security prison, this was. Uh, this was the one that was right in uh, Amiloa de Juarez in Mexico. On November 22, 1995, he was transferred to the Maximum Security Prison Federal Center for Social Rehabilitation Number Two. Also, <laughs> so they keep as, moving him up. Yep, he's moving. All right, you're going to ranks. number two now. Now he's going to Puente Grande. That's the nickname for the prison. I don't know why they have <laughs> nicknames for prisons. It seems like they have a perfectly fine numbering system as it stands. In Jalisco. Uh, he was sentenced to 20 years in prison, but while he lived in Puente Grande, El Chapo enjoyed a comfortable lifestyle. <laughs> he had most of the people working in the prison under his payroll. He ordered he meals whenever he wanted from menus, uh, continued his illicit activities through cell phone, enjoyed sporadic visits from prostitutes, among other benefits. However, under fears of being extradited to the United States for pending charges on drug trafficking, Guzman orchestrated his escape from Puente Grande. On the 19th of January 2001, his electronically secured cell was opened, and uh, El Chapo was reportedly escorted by a prison guard outside of Puente Grande while hidden in a laundry cart. The security cameras of the prison were disabled on his way out, and... Sure enough, he became a free man. Kind of like a uh, not good Shawshank Redemption. <laughs> yeah. Kind of like a reverse Shawshank Redemption. Like, yeah. he had a really nice life in prison. And, he, and then he, he left. deserved to be in there. <laughs> yeah, he deserved to be there. And he had it made while he was in there. Yep. So he might as well have just stayed. Yeah, I mean, it was. He had it. Everybody was under his payroll. And, and, and everybody won. Everybody won. Like yeah. he got to. Ha- he got to be a pompous guy in yeah. prison. In prison where he belongs. Society got to not have him <laughs> around. And w- what was wrong with that? Yeah. Anyway. He basically turned his prison into a mansion for himself. Yeah. So what does he can order food? He can get prostitutes in it. He. It's literally just like he's just like on house arrest. Yeah. At that point, that's really. Yeah. I, uh-huh. I don't understand. In any case, uh, Guzman was driven out of the prison by Francisco Javier Camberos Rivera, alias El Chido, uh, one of the prison guards, and headed to uh, Guadalajara. In the car, uh, El Chapo sat in the passenger seat and urged Camberos Rivera that both of them were better off fleeing together given that the manhunt to re-arrest him would also include his accomplice. When they were outside the city, El Chapo asked him to stop at a gasoline station because he said he was thirsty and wanted a bottle of water. Camberos Rivera got off the vehicle, went into the shop, and bought the water. When he came back to the car, El Chapo was gone. <laughs> at 11- That's kind of like, uh, I don't know. What is that? Dumb and Dumber? Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> like... All right, hold on. <laughs> <laughs> that yeah, yeah, that, that 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 pretty pretty much sums that up. I don't understand how you would fall for that trick. But okay, <laughs> this would have to be a comedy movie, I think. Almost definitely, because the the amount of like uh, garnishments he had while he was in prison just that that already puts it in that yeah. room. Unfortunately, uh, regardless of what we find out later, which I'm sure there's got to be this guy can't be like. He's, he's done some bad stuff. Yeah. He's probably not just a drug trafficker. 
Yeah. Um, uh, at 11.35 p.m. on that day, the prison warden, Leonardo Beltran Santana, was notified that uh, El Chapo's cell was empty and chaos within the prison ensued because who was going to pay for their food? Uh, <laughs> the prison staff searched in every cell, room, and closet to no avail. They wept because <laughs> they were not going to have as much fun without him. When the news of, Gu- of uh, Guzman's escape reached the newspaper headlines, the Mexican government vowed to launch a national manhunt to bring him behind bars again and to punish those responsible for allowing him to mm. escape. In the nearby communities close to the prison, the Mexican army searched for El Chapo. They raided houses, ranches, and even government buildings, but they did not find traces of the drug lord. In Guadalajara... <laughs> Uh, security forces raided a house of one of El Chapo's associates, confiscating weapons, drugs, phones, computers, and thousands of dollars in cash, but they did not find their target. Mm. Anonymous tips led authorities to Manzanillo, Colima, which led to raids in 17 houses and four ranches. El Chapo, however, was nowhere to be found. Within days of the escape, it was clear to the Mexican government that Guzman was no longer hiding in the surrounding areas. The manhunt was then extended nationwide with hundreds of police officers and soldiers scattered across Mexico from major cities to the thinnest rural communities. Uh, thinnest, uh, by, by thinnest, of course, I mean tiniest, but I mean... Is that... Also, they may also have been thin people. I don't know. Uh, Is tiniest with two N's? Tiniest, Yes. <laughs> Uh, after meeting with other Sinaloa cartel leaders a few months after his escape, El Chapo reemerged and was eager to prove that his time in prison had not softened his personality <laughs> and that he was still at the top of his game. He spent most of 2001 traveling all across Mexico and becoming accustomed to his new lifestyle as a high-profile drug lord. Well, then what was he before? Was he I don't a low-profile? I guess. <laughs> I, I mean... Maybe what happened was he was a low, he was like a low guy on the totem pole, and then by way of him being in prison while everybody else was also arrested and him getting out of prison, he just was like, now the time that had, had, he was now the head honcho. So maybe he was like did like a kingpin thing, where he, must he somehow have. got even stronger yeah. in prison. You put him in prison, and he just gets even he just gets bigger <laughs> and better. Huh. Well, in March of two thousand one. Uh, they discovered that El Chapo was hiding at a ranch known as Los Limones in Santa Fe, Nayarit. And soldiers raided the property, but the drug lord had escaped beforehand, reportedly via helicopter. So I hope that that was long before they got there, because that would be embarrassing. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> And in August 2001, he was detected near La Marquesia, Marquesa in Mexico City. In November 2001, he was reported to have lived in Puebla with his wife, Griselda Lopez Perez. Griselda, and... that's a rough name. <laughs> that's not... Yes. That... Isn't that like the one from Cats? Isn't that like the, the raggedy cat from Cats? Maybe. <laughs> Grizabella. It was Grizabella. But still, uh, I mean, like, it's not a far cry. Yeah, it, it is not a flattering name. Um, but he was living in Quer- Cuernavaca. Cuernavaca. And so forth. Dormez <laughs> According to police reports, 
him and his wife were under the protection of Jesus Castro Pantoja, an ex-policeman in charge of the drug lord's security logistics. Also, he was under the protection of Juan Mauro Palo- Palomares, alias El Trace. Oh, El Trace, <laughs> the third, the threes. No, uh, he was another member member of the cartel, an associate of El Chapo. Wait, was that Jesus Castro Pintoya? Was that the other guy from earlier that was assassinated? No, no, it was not. No, he was. He There's was another also a Jesus. Jesus. Yeah. There's a lot of Jesus running around in Mexico. There are. The Jesus has had like a million, a million re-showings up. Yeah, down there. Um. So wait. So did he have a wife before he got imprisoned, or is this like after he broke out and he got married or something? The whole time. Don't let the prostitutes confuse you. <laughs> Because it didn't mention the wife earlier, so let's just assume that it's always been. That, that the wife has always been. <laughs> and uh, from Puebla, he moved back to Mexico City before hiding at a mountainous community known as Tohayana. Or To. Isn't the H said differently in. Mexican? I know that J is like an H. Yeah, but I don't know if and I know H an like X is an H. But maybe G is like J, right? G is like J. J is like H. H is like nothing. Is it like saying nothing? Do you literally like uh, ignore it? <laughs> I don't I know. I feel like you might ignore it. Maybe. So Toyana, something in Sinaloa. Of course. Going back because where else would he be? <laughs> this is where my cartel is named after. I must stay here. <laughs> It was there that federal agents believed that El Chapo began to make business connections with South American drug traffickers. And in the first week of September 2001, Mexican authorities reported that El Chapo was living between Toluca and the state of Nayarit. He managed to escape arrest after the extinct federal preventive police intercepted a vehicle carrying Arturo Guzman Loera, alias El Pollo, <laughs> one of Guzman's brothers. Wait, so extinct federal preventive police intercept. The ex- Yeah, what makes them extinct and why? Um, Did... Was <laughs> that's a very oddly <laughs> phrased way to put it. If yeah, maybe it's a different definition of extinct than we're thinking of. Maybe the federal preventive police thing Is was a now? thing, but it's not anymore. Maybe they are now the federal. Oh no, we didn't prevent it, police. <laughs> but it seems like it's kind of innocuous information to call them extinct if that has no relevance on the article. Yeah. So anyway, in one of the other vehicles in the convoy was El Chapo, who managed to escape the scene. And one of the henchmen arrested with Arturo was allowed to make a phone call while detained, allowing El Chapo to escape from a safe house he was hiding in uh, in Zinacantepec, state of Mexico, 
where he lived from June to September 2011. The Mexican authorities had several follow-ups on El Chapo's whereabouts since previous months. They concluded he was living in Toluca Valley, and that year the Centro de Investigación y Seguridad Nacional uh, Mexico's intelligence agency conducted an investigation among several state of Mexico functionaries to determine if any of them were collaborating with El Chapo. So, wait, so it's talking about 2011 and such, and now it's going back to 2002. Yep. He's reported <laughs> to have been at Campeche or Campeche in north southern Campeche. Mexico. <laughs> Campeche in uh, Tamalu- Tamaulipas in northeast Mexico, in the state of Sonora in the northwest, and in Mexico City, the country's capital. Ah, uh, so that's what they meant about the whole him having reports of being all over the place. Mm. Okay. And then in uh, June 14th, 2001, 2002, Federal agents believed that El Chapo and Zambada, which is... I don't remember that name. Zambada. He's one of the animal guys. He's not El Pollo, but he's... (laughs) I wish he was El Pollo. I wish it was just El Chapo and El Pollo forever, forever, a million years. El Chapo, El Pollo.com. That'd be the best. Yeah. So then it would definitely be a comedy. <laughs> then it would just be Bush Cassidy and the Sundance Kid starring Mexican people. Like, yeah. That's all it would be. <laughs> all right. So this Zambada, whoever that is, hosted a large social event in Badarigato, Sinaloa. Domarigato. And we're heading via truck to Tamazula, Durango. What? <laughs> So uh, they were heading by Durango to Durango. I guess so. As long as they weren't, <laughs> if they were in Dodge SUVs, they actually were doing that. <laughs> and a terrestrial occupation to capture the drug lord would have taken hours, given the dirt tracks that led to the area where El Chapo was located. That's where the tough new durability of new Dodge Durango comes in. <laughs> And instead, the army sent in the Mexican Air Force to surprise them. As helicopters soared on top of the ranch, El Chapo and his men escaped by foot. Soldiers descended from the choppers and arrested the employees working at the ranch. But El Chapo was nowhere to be found. And according to local journalists who consulted the police... The operative was carried out by to merely scare away El Chapo, not to apprehend him. Hmm. And on November 2004, soldiers raided another of El Chapo's ranches north of La Tuna, Badarigato, and after they detected his voice through a satellite phone line they had been tapping for several months. And when they got to the location... He escaped. And they were about 10 minutes late from capturing him. And at the scene, the soldiers confiscated several belongings from the drug lord, including laptops and new photographs of him. And the pictures proved that he had been at the ranch and showed that he sported a new mustache 
and had gained more weight after escaping from prison. And outraged for failing to capture him, the soldiers lit his vehicles on fire and destroyed the property. And Mexican authorities blamed infiltrated informants for passing down information to him and helping him escape. But critics noted that the drug lord had successfully avoided arrest because there were no serious efforts to apprehend him and that the government was faking attempts to capture him. I don't know about that whole the government faking attempts to capture him bit. Yeah. That seems just like a, oh, yeah, he escaped. Uh, (laughs) We meant for that to happen. Yeah, we just don't want him to be around here no more. So we thought we'd give him a good old scare. (laughs) Good old El Chapo. Never trying to really catch you. Just trying to let you know that we're out here and we don't want you around these parts no more. So so scram, you hear? (laughs) Like, I really don't buy yeah. it. I'm sorry. It does not seem like... <laughs> I, mean, I mean, I live in a nation where we went to international war in nations literally on the other side of the earth <laughs> to find one dude. So, yeah. like, so like I, I mean, pardon me if I don't buy into the, you know, but yeah, we didn't mean to catch him, even though we knew where he was. Yeah. But um, yeah, I'm thinking now maybe this could make a good like I don't know, kind of 24 parody show. That actually, you know, why hasn't there been like like a 24 parody show? The other side, you know, show him trying to escape police constantly. The other side of 24. Yeah, we'll call it 42. Um, so there were some public appearances he made one Saturday evening on in May 2005. Uh, El Chapo, it's hard to not say, yeah. uh, reportedly appeared at a restaurant in Nuevo Laredo, Tamaulipas, escorted by several of his gunmen. And this is one of the instances where he closed the doors, uh, said, hey, uh, give me all your electronics. Mm. No Twitter for you while you're at dinner. <laughs> Eat with your families. And then he uh, said, okay, well, um, since you convenience me, uh, free meals on the house. <laughs> and then everybody, and then everybody's like, all right, that's actually kind of cool. Yeah. <laughs> like, let's, let's tell everybody else in Mexico about this so that maybe they can get free meals too. <laughs> um, in November of 2005, El Chapo was supposedly seen in Culacan, Sinaloa, repeating the same exploit. So, you know, some of those people actually didn't get their wish. They got the free meal. Uh, According to an eyewitness of that scene, the drug lord arrived at Las Palmas, an eatery in one of the city's busy streets with 15 of his bodyguards, (laughs) each one of them having AK-47 assault rifles. So you know they got more guns somewhere. somewhere, (laughs) Uh, A man told those present the following, Gentlemen, please give me a moment of your time. A man is going to come in to the boss. <laughs> we will ask you to remain in your seats. The doors will be closed and nobody is allowed to leave. You will also not be allowed to use your cell phones. Do not worry. If you do everything that is asked of you, nothing will happen. Continue eating <laughs> and don't ask for your check. The boss will pay. Thank you. That seems seems very oddly formal. Like, that's just, like, very business casual. Excuse me, good sir. Did you know that tonight you will be dying alongside a drug cartel leader? It's true. 
Now, for just the price of not using Twitter throughout the entire meal, and for the price of you getting to eat for free, you too can dine beside legendary drug cartel hero El Chapo. Does sound like pause, a, a pause. weird, like yeah. video game NPC. It almost just... sounds like something out of Twisted Metal. <laughs> like it sounds like dystopian in a, in a way. Um, that like somebody could just like walk into Mexico and people yeah. would be like. Yeah, okay. I can see it. There's like the cantina music stops playing whenever yeah. this guy comes in, like somebody slices off somebody else's arm and everybody's just like, huh? Oh. Alright, this is normal. And yep. then they continue continue on their way. <laughs> like it seems very much along those lines. Uh following this statement, El Chapo, of course, presented himself through the door of the restaurant and walked through the tables, greeting the customers saying, Hello, it's nice to meet you. How are you? I'm Joaquin <laughs> Guzman Loera, a pleasure at your service. Wow. He said, shaking their hands. I am amazed that this guy avoided capture for 13 years. I mean, I guess you don't get anywhere by not being sociable. Like, if you're going to yeah. do this sort of stunt, you have to, like, go around and be like, Hey, how you doing? See, I don't have a gun. Like, everybody else has a gun, sure. But, like, yeah. don't, don't let that concern you. Don't get confused. I, I call the shots. They have the shots. But I call them. <laughs> and I'm a happy guy, right? So I'm just going to go eat some food. Um, like that. It's kind of, hmm. It seems this is too good to not be a movie. Why isn't this a movie? Who is making this movie? Somebody needs to get on this. This is great. This is great material. (laughs) Um, uh, The drug lord eventually retreated to one of the restaurant's private rooms. Uh, and in said private room, he ate his favorite steak-based dish. After a few hours, Guzman finished his dinner and left the scene through the back door. Hours. His gunmen appeared, uh, departed minutes later. Spent hours in this place. Okay, so maybe he kind of relished having the people hostage. Yeah. Anyway, like that might have been. But at least he covered their meals. If I was somebody oh, who yeah. was in that restaurant, I would have been like, just keep giving me more food because <laughs> he's going to pay for it, so fuck it. Like, yeah, seriously. Um, the customers soon discovered that their tabs had been paid by Guzman. Apparently, the nice gunman's announcement earlier in the <laughs> evening was not creditable enough. Uh, when asked about the incident, however, the restaurant owner denied the story and stated that the drug lord was never there. Mm. Because, you know, he probably made a absolute killing off of that <laughs> meal. Like, oh, everybody yeah. else in the restaurant probably had the same idea I just had, <laughs> which was, let's just keep getting more food. We're trapped here anyway, let's just eat more food. Yep. And so that, that restaurant owner probably, like, made bank that mm-hmm. night. Oh, my word. And he probably tipped pretty well, too. Oh, yeah. Why not? I mean, why wouldn't you? <laughs> You want to keep people quiet? You better tip well. You want people to like rat you out to the police? You, 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 you yeah. Mm-hmm. They, then that's when you pour, tip poorly. So don't tip poorly. <laughs> tip good. Uh, such stories, whether true or false, created a mystique surrounding El Chapo. Hmm. So, in 2006, during the last days of the administration of President Vincent Fox. Uh, General Rolando Eugenio Hidalgo Eddy. <laughs> what? <laughs> um, right? Yep. Okay. Yes. Huh? Uh, this That's guy. the name of that order. That's how that name goes. Uh, this guy was appointed at the 9th Military Zone with clear orders to capture El Chapo. So Vincent Fox really wanted to get this capture done. 
before his presidency was over. Um, And within a few months in office, the general managed to arrest one of El Chapo's top money launderers and raided several towns and airstrips thought to be owned by El Chapo. Although he received death threats from organized criminals, he went for El Chapo's family. And in one operation led by him, soldiers raided one of the ranches owned by Maria Consuelo Loera Perez, the drug lord's mother. And intelligence reports mentioned that El Chapo had visited his mother in Latuna Batarregato when he the soldiers arrived the drug lord had already escaped after not finding any evidence of criminal activities the soldiers allegedly trashed the property according to some local eyewitness accounts and then el chapo purposely carried out a defamation campaign against the general to win public support (laughs) and locals accused of supporting the drug lord marched in Kuliakin to and wrote a petition to the president and the local human rights commission asking for the abuses to stop. Hmm. Authorities dismissed the accusations with as a tactic employed by El Chapo. Locals, on the other hand, denied the accusations. Hmm. On August 2006, he commanded an operation that led to the capture of El Chapo's nephew, Louis Alberto Cano Zepeda in Durango. So, you finally catch somebody named Lewis and his last name isn't Guzman? (laughs) Wow. I'm out. I'm done. And then El Chapo responded by disposing the corpse of a man outside the general's headquarters. El Chapo's escape from prison in the Fox administration marked an embarrassing episode for the government, which carried out several efforts to readdress, re-arrest the drug lord. However, El Chapo managed to remain a fugitive throughout the whole political administration and into Calderon's presidency, which began on December 2006. Okay, so real talk. Uh, We're like only halfway through this article, maybe. More like one third. The majority of this is still to come. So at this juncture, I need to ask you, do we still want to finish finish this story? Or do you want to find out about... El Chapo, the man, the myth, the legend. I think we should get a little more insight into him, his early life. Right. Because we, we know did, how this wraps up. We, yeah, he we goes to prison, get, he escapes again, he goes back to prison again. Yeah. So, yeah, we, we do have the rundown of the future events here. And I feel like we're at that part. crucial juncture where things go in the movie uh, plot from being like, entertaining and kind of fun, lighthearted, catch-me-if-you-can style criminality mm-hmm. to Gangs of New York style criminality <laughs> real quick. So, you know, if we want to make yeah. that jump, now might be a good time. Yeah. I think it's time to see what El Chapo was like. All right. So, bouncing over to you know, Queen El Chapo Guzman. Loera. From a page move. This is the one <laughs> that I came across. I don't know what that... Oh, hey, here we go. He has a different picture 
there. He looks very different. This is one year later from the other picture. And yet... But he looks so different. Yeah. That's kind of odd. He's... He still looks uh, Louis Guzman-y. Just a not bit. as much. A little more squared in the jaw. Yeah. And you don't really get too many other pictures of him in this article. Yeah, you don't get a whole lot of pictures at all. You only get, like, maybe the mug shots are the only ones of him. Get several other people, but, yeah. Okay, well. Oh, see. wait. Spanish pronunciation. Here we go. Um, I still so, don't know how to, I don't how, know how I don't to know read how to the pronunciation. <laughs> I don't know how to start a, a word with an X <laughs> that doesn't have a Y after it. I don't know how to do it. Or an E. So, oh, would, you know how like, oh, I, they say Mexico? Yo. So would the ha- X be a Hoa? Yeah, yeah, must be, must be. Joaquin Art Arche Arche I don't know what that symbol Valdo, is. Valdo Archivaldo Guzman Loera That's pretty much I think <laughs> it. Okay. Maybe. <laughs> I really don't know where a weird bee with a tail <laughs> comes into things, but Oh, and he has other nicknames here. The Last Godfather and El Rapido. Ooh. Oh, and El Chapo means the shorty. How about it? So he's the sh- he's the shorty <laughs> who has had many birthdays. And he was 61. He was born in either December 25th, 1954 or April 4th, 1957. So he's either so. 59 or 61. Yep. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Seems like something they'd be able to nail down. I feel like maybe there's a reason why this guy ended up being like the top kingpin. Like Mexican Mexico obviously didn't care enough about him in the first place to figure out whether or not he was a person who was born (laughs) on a certain day. So yeah, naturally things got messier from there. (laughs) His entire life he didn't know if he was three or seven. So (laughs) that's a pretty. It's a pretty, uh, pretty hard line to walk. Anyway, yeah. we already know that he is uh, oh, okay. leader of the Sinaloa cartel. He so. became Mexico's top drug kingpin in 2003 after the arrest of his rival. So that's what put him uh, at the top. Uh, probably one of those Tijuana guys, eh? Oh, yeah. But yeah, that propelled him into being the most powerful drug trafficker in the world by the United States Department of the Treasury. And that's that's yeah. a pretty intense for somebody that I don't think I've heard of. Right, and it's kind of intense that he, at that point in time, he had just been out of prison for like a little, little bit. And he was already like, nope, number one. <laughs> somebody else got arrested? Okay, I win. Like, <laughs> what? You've been out of prison for, like, a year and a half, that's it, and you've already got the largest and most extensive international drug cartel? (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Okay. So from each year, from 2009 to 2011, Forbes actually got Guzman as one of the most people, one of the most powerful people in the world. He was 41st, 60th, and then 55th, respectively, as being one of the most powerful people in the world. He's the second most powerful man in Mexico after Carlos Slim. 
I don't know slim. <laughs> that almost sounds made up. If you're the most powerful man in Mexico, I suppose you can make up your own name, but... Yeah. What is, what I, is, what is I a am, Carlos Slim? I am not following Mexican name traditions here. Yeah, I thought we had... A guy with we a last name stuff. Eddie and... Yeah, what, what... I don't know. I don't know what's going on down there. Yeah, maybe, that, maybe that's okay. I'm not sure. Yeah. Um, he was named as the 10th richest man in Mexico, the 1,140th richest man in the world, with a net worth of roughly $1 million. Hmm. Wow, Magazine. so there are over 1,000 more people in the world with over a billion dollars? Yeah, I, I guess 1,140 hmm. more people in the world with more than that much money. Interesting. It gives you hope. Yeah. What you're saying is <laughs> 1,140 out of 7 billion. So you're saying there's a chance. <laughs> mm. Going back to the dumb number. I like it. Uh, yeah. The magazine also calls him the biggest drug ruler of all time. And the United States Drug Enforcement Agency, or DEA, estimates that he has matched the influence of, and reach of Pablo Escobar hmm. and now considers him the godfather of the drug world. In 2013, the Chicago Crime Commission named Guzman public enemy number one. I don't know why Chicago cares. Uh, <laughs> for the influence of his criminal network in Chicago. Okay, there's why. Uh, though there is no evidence that Guzman has ever been in that city. <laughs> Neat. The last person to achieve such notoriety was Al Capone in 1930. So, this guy seems to be like almost like Scarface. More than. Yeah. Because wasn't Scarface Pablo Escobar? Like, I mean, he was a fictional character. Well, yeah. But I mean, like, I, he was based off of Pablo. Escobar, I don't wasn't know he? what he was based off of. I think he was based off Pablo Escobar, but I could be wrong. Hmm. But yeah. Um, multi-ton cocaine shipments from Colombia through Mexico to the United States. So, oh, good. The United States is the world's top consumer of cocaine, I guess. Nice. So, of course know, we are. That's something. Of course we are. <laughs> Have we you got seen that Wall going Street? for us? <laughs> and uh, and it has distribution cells through the U.S. And the organization of uh, Guzman's cartel has also been involved in the production, smuggling, and distribution of Mexican methamphetamine, marijuana, ecstasy, and heroin all across North America and Europe. And by the time of his 2014 arrest, Guzman had exported more drugs to the United States than anyone else. More than 500 tons of cocaine in the U.S. alone. That is a lot of cocaine. Just to the United States. I guess, uh, yeah. You can see why they, uh, Why they kind of wanted to take him down. Yeah. Uh, El Chapo was first captured in 1993, but we've already talked about all of this. So, let's skip. Yeah. To the things we don't know about. To the pre to the pre-drug lord times. Yeah. To we'll a go, simpler we'll time. Go back in time. Yeah. El Chapo was born amazingly not as El Chapo, but instead <laughs> as Joaquin Archibaldo 
Guzman Loera into a poor family in the rural community of the Tuna. Bandaraguado, Sinaloa, Mexico. Literally, barely ever left his hometown. Pretty much. (laughs) Sources disagree on his date of birth. Some stating it was in 1954, others in 1957. Maybe they could have asked his mother when they were in her house raiding the... Maybe it could. <laughs> maybe Sinaloa just a pla- is just a place where people don't communicate very much could or be. very well. I don't. <laughs> I don't know. Like, maybe there's something about the geography. Like, it's very hilly, and mm. it just seems like it's too much effort to like go up the mountain a little bit <laughs> to do stuff. I don't know. Uh, his parents were Emilio Guzman Bostillos and Maria Consuelo Loera Perez. So yeah, they knew who their parents were. So I don't know. Yeah. His paternal grandparents were Juan Guzman and Otia Bustios, and his maternal grandparents were Ovidio Lara Corbe and Pomposa Perez Uriart. Y- what? Uri. 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 For many generations, his family lived and died at the Tuna. Uh, his father was officially a cattle rancher, as were most in the area where Guzman grew up, so I guess that eliminates the whole theory about hills. Um, according to some sources, however, the his dad may have possibly been a gomero, a Sinolan word for opium poppy farmer, which, uh. given how his son turned out, is almost definitely the case. <laughs> Guzman has two younger sisters, Armida and Bernard, Bernarda, and four younger brothers, Miguel Angel, Ariano, Arturo, and Emilio. He has three unnamed <laughs> older brothers who reportedly died of natural causes when they were oh very young. Gosh. Mostly because their father was an opium farmer and he killed them whenever he introduced them to the family business. Well, maybe if they would have named them, they, things would have turned out differently. I guess, you know, like, yeah. Maybe that's why they, he, maybe that's why they, uh, their mom was, like, confused when asked, like, <laughs> I don't know. Is he one of the dead ones or the alive ones? <laughs> uh, I, I know. I've had a lot of kids. Uh, I had, I had, I had four kids. I only gave one of them a name. I think he's <laughs> that one. And depending on which one my husband killed, he's either born in '54 or '57. I'm not really sure. <laughs> okay. Yeah, it looks intense. like for knowing so much relatively about his family. Uh, there are a few details known about his upbringing. Uh, as a child, he sold oranges and dropped out of school in third grade to work with his father. And he Which... was regularly beaten and sometimes fled to his maternal grandmother's house to escape such treatment. However, when he was home, uh, Guzman stood up to his father to protect his younger siblings from being beaten. Okay. So I have, I think a good movie in my mind here. Mm -hmm. You start in the present day with his six-month escape leading to his arrest. Okay, yeah. You go back to his escape before Mm -hmm. in 2001 and show his comedic escapades through, you know, fleeing from the police through 2014. And then the final act of the movie... You goes back him. to his childhood, you see him and then you get like beatings. the dramatic ending to everything, and everything else suddenly becomes like, well, how could he take? How could he take like being a drug lord and being this cartel guy so lightly? How could yeah. he? 
How could he like? How would he have the audacity to live up being successful mm. in that kind of a audacious and horrible realm? And then you go back to his child and you're like, oh, uh, well, and yeah, no. I think that that could be a pretty compelling movie there. It could, that that really could be. You just got to Tarantino it a little bit. Yeah. Except instead of maybe, Tarantinoing you know it, just maybe, go straight backwards. Maybe Tarantino's the guy for the job to To be perfectly to, honest, to, yeah. It seems know? like it would appeal to him. It's like, violent enough. It's, it's off the wall enough. It's comedic enough. I mean, he's... And given his latest, like, penchant, it's Old West enough. Yeah, seriously. It's Old West Mexico. I feel like he, he could definitely do it justice with his tone. Yeah, like, that would be fantastic. You cast Luis Guzman. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> That's the only, the only That's choice. That's the only <laughs> Oh, yeah. Well, he's only got two more movies in him, so I hope this is one of them. Me too, man. If not, it's all yours. You got <laughs> yep. There's your ticket. Um, but yeah, it says he, it is possible that Guzman incurred his rather father's wrath for trying to stop him from beating his siblings but his mother was the foundation of his emotional support and as the nearest school to his home was about 60 miles away uh, Guzman was taught by traveling teachers during his early years just like the rest of his brothers the teachers stayed for a few months before moving to other areas that's interesting I've never heard of that but with few opportunities for employment in his hometown, he turned to the cultivation of opium poppy, a common practice among local residents. During harvest season, him and his brothers hiked the hills of Badariguato to cut the bud of the poppy. Once the plant was stacked in kilos, uh, his father sold the harvest to other suppliers in Culiacan and Guamachil. Kuama, and he sold marijuana at commercial centers near the area while accompanied by Guzman. Oh, so his father did marijuana selling as well. Yes. Which I guess, you know, wasn't something worth mentioning. Until <laughs> yeah, I guess. And his father spent most of the profits on liquor and women and often returned home with no money. Tired of his mismanagement, Guzman, at the age of 15, cultivated his own marijuana pro- plantation plantation with four distant cousins, Arturo, Alfredo, Carlos, and Hector, who lived nearby. With his first marijuana productions, Guzman supported his family financially. When he was a teenager, however, his father kicked him out of the house and he went to live with his grandfather. And it was during his adolescence that Guzman earned the name El Chapo, Mexican slang for shorty, for his 5 feet 6 inch stature and stocky physical appearance. Though most people in Badariguato worked in the poppy fields of the Sierra Madre Occidental throughout most of their lives, Guzman left his hometown in search of greater opportunities. Through. <laughs> Through his uncle, Pedro Aviles Perez, one of the pioneers of drug Mexican drug trafficking, he left Badaragato in his 20s and joined organized crime. So, man, by age 15, he was already working, like, plantation-sized drug um, 
a drug operation that could yeah. support his family at least. Yeah. Which I mean, you know, at least that's amiable. Yeah. If you're selling if you're selling weed to support your family and you're making a go of it and your family's yeah. actually doing okay, then uh, all right. Yeah, I mean, I mean it's like fine. it's <laughs> interesting. Like you see, he was like, all right, so. My dad's not doing a great job of supporting the family, so mm-hmm. I need to do something. Yeah. And the only thing he knows how to do, well, I've seen him, you know, grow this stuff, and I know how to do it, so that's what I'm going to do. Know, I know people want to buy it. I yeah. know they want to pay money for it. So, yeah. So then he get, does it, and then he's like, all right, now my family is taken care of. And then he it's, gets kicked out of the house, and the only person that he can live with is, you know... His One drug cartel, um, yeah. <laughs> Which so. is a shame. I mean, it's obvious that he was kind of doomed, despite having at least at first a good heart and a good mind. Yeah. Uh, to kind of be bought into this. Mm-hmm. I mean, between what is unconfirmed but highly likely about his father being yeah. an opium farmer, and what his family, extended family, this is already mm-hmm. was involved in quite yeah. clearly. It seemed like he just kind of was born into a bad lot. It was a generational thing. Yeah. Um, and despite the fact that he was doing it with noble intentions, you know, he did only have a very limited skill set. He knew how to do mm-hmm. business about illicit things from a very young age. Yeah. So where was he going to excel if not there? Yeah. Um, and then, you know, once he got a taste of, you know, like being rich and successful, I'm sure he was like, hey... Better than Better this, being poor than yeah. I was, you know? Because now I can spend money on the same things my father spent money on <laughs> and not be out of money. Yeah. <laughs> and also support whatever family I have. So. And also support buying everybody meals in a restaurant. Yeah. <laughs> um, Maybe that was his dream from an early age. Someday I want to buy everybody in a restaurant. Someday, a I, just wanna, someday I just want to treat people good yeah. by way of treating them... Uh, as Someday I want so. to treat millions of people horribly so that I can treat about 20 people really in, good. Directly in my <laughs> eyesight really well. But isn't that kind of how it breaks down? Yeah. Like if to have those kinds of resources, you don't not step on people. Mm. Whether you see them or not, you do. I mean, and that's, um, you know, kind of the irony of it here. Yeah. I can't say that based on his beginnings, I think he was an inherently evil dude. It seems yeah. like he just kind of became really good at being evil by virtue of how he was, of what he was brought up inside. Of, yeah, you know. Um, and I'm sure with um, these drug lords and stuff, a lot of it. I mean, if unless they're like legitimate, like evil people, you know. Yeah. yeah. Like this guy it's probably like an out of sight out of mind kind of thing like mm-hmm. hey i'm just supplying drugs to people you know right they probably don't think about like oh this is actually destroying everybody's life you're not going to put your i mean he's not going to be a foot soldier he's not yeah. going to be an assassin he's not you're not going to put a five foot six uh overweight mexican man on the ground <laughs> yeah. and expect him to do a whole lot of damage he's not mm-hmm. going to i mean he he's the guy who he is the organized part of organized crime. right that is what he does. Yeah. He seems to have been good at it since forever. And that's just kind of... He's good at production. He's good at outsourcing work and duties to other people. And he already had that from within his own family, so he just carried it over to the business world. Mm-hmm. That's all there is to it. Um, to him, 
it's just organized. To him, this was a family business. Yeah. Crime didn't really occur to him as it being what he was doing. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, to him, this was just farming. Mm-hmm. Just like growing corn. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, for better or for worse, obviously, it probably, I mean, it made him do some bad things. Some apparently uh, important enough guy to, to 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 make people really mad got killed by him. Yeah. Not like by him, but like close to him, like Nearby. in front of him. Yeah. Because he was there. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not sure how that works. I'm still yeah. looking for that. I want to know about that. Ah, here we are. This is the section we need to round things out with. We can kind of skip over the 80s and figuring out how he got into. Um, Just watch the movie Scarface, you'll get the gist of it. Yeah, basically. <laughs> Everybody wanted cocaine. People were price gouging. El Chapo, we've already said to you, from, from what we've already told you, you can tell he's probably pretty freaking good at that kind of thing, yeah. figuring out exactly what price point to sell things at. Mm-hmm. Um, so we can just skip right down to the Tijuana cartel. By this time, he was already uh, an established cartel guy and... Uh, a uh, former accomplice, Felix Garrado, was already arrested. Um, the uh, Tijuana corridor, where a lot of the illicit drug trade was going down, eventually got handed over in control to the Ariano Felix brothers, Jesus Labra Aviles, alias El Choy, and Javier Caro Payan, alias El Doctor. They're all L something. It's... They're all the, but that yeah. guy's the doctor. So, yeah. <laughs> cousin of the former Guadalura uh, cartel leader Rafael Caro Quintero. In fears of a coup, however, Caro Payan fled to Canada and was later arrested. Guzman and the rest of the Sinaloa cartel leaders consequently grew angry at the Ar- Ariano Felix clan about this. In 1989, El Chapo sent Armando Lopez, alias El Reo, uh, one of his most trusted men, to speak with the Ariano Felix clan in Tijuana. Before he had a chance to speak face-to-face with them, Lopez was killed by Ramon Ariano Felix. The corpse was disposed in the outskirts of the city of the Tijuana, and the Tijuana cartel ordered a hit on the remaining members of the Lopez family to prevent future reprisals. The same year, the Ariano Felix brothers sent the Venezuelan drug trafficker Enrique Rafael Clavel Moreno to infiltrate Palma's family and seduce his wife, Guadalupe Lejera Serrano. After convicti- convincing her to withdraw $7 million, from one of Palma's bank accounts in San Diego, California, Clavel beheaded her and sent her head to Palma in a box. It was known as the first beheading linked to the drug trade in Mexico. Really? Yeah, that was the first one ever. Wow. Pretty iconic. (laughs) Wish they would have thought of it sooner, I'm sure. Uh, Two weeks later, Clavel killed Palma's children, Hector, age five, and Natalie, age four, by throwing them off a bridge in Venezuela. Horrifying. Mm. Like, of all the ways to kill a kid, I would think that maybe a gun would be more merciful, but throwing them <laughs> off of a bridge? Seriously. Paula retaliated by sending his men to kill Clavel while he was in prison. In 1991, Ramon killed another Sinaloa cartel associate, Rigoberto Campos Salcido, alias El Rigo, and prompted bigger conflicts with El Chapo. LLL. In 
1992, a Tijuana cartel affiliated with San Diego-based gang known as Calientreinta kidnapped six of Guzman's men in Tijuana, tortured them to attain information, and then shot them in the back of their heads. Their bodies were dumped on the outskirts of the city. Shortly after the attack, a car bomb exploded outside of Guzman's uh, properties in Calicuan. No injuries were reported, but the drug lord became fully aware of the intended message. El Chapo and Palma struck back against the Ariano Felix brothers, i.e. the Tijuana cartel, with nine, car- with nine killings on the 3rd of September in 1992 in Iguala. Among the dead were lawyers and family members of Felix Garado, who was also believed to have orchestrated the attack against Palma's family. Mexico's attorney general formed a special unit to look into the killings, but the investigation was called off after the unit found that El Chapo had paid off some of the top police officials in Mexico with $10 million, according to police reports, and confessions of former police officers. In November 1992, gunman of Ariano Felix attempted to kill El Chapo as he was traveling in a vehicle through the streets of Guadalajara. Ramon and at least four of his henchmen shot at the moving vehicle with AK-47s and... Uh, the drug lord still, uh, the drug lord El Chapo, though, still managed to escape unharmed. The attack forced El Chapo to leave Guadalajara and live under a false name under fears of future attacks. He and Palma, however, responded to the assassination attempt in a similar fashion several days later. In uh, November 8, 1992, a large commando of the Sinaloa cartel posing as policemen stormed the Christine Discotheque in Porto Vallarta spotted Ramon and Francisco Javier Ariano Felix and opened fire at them. The shooting lasted for at least eight minutes, and more than 1,000 rounds were fired by both Guzman's and Ariano Felix's gunmen. Six people were killed in the shootout, but the Ariano Felix brothers were in the restroom when the raid started and reportedly escaped through an air conditioning duct before leaving the scene in one of their vehicles. On the 9th and 10th of December 1992, four alleged associates of Phoenix Garado were killed. The antagonism between Guzman's Sinaloa cartel and the Ariano Felix clan left several more dead and was accompanied by more violent events in the states of Baja California, Sonora Sinola, Durango, Jalisco, Guerrero, Micocan, and Oaxaca. The war between groups continued for six more months, yet none of their respective leaders were killed. In mid-1993, the Ariano Phoenix clan set, sent their top gunman on a final mission to kill El Chapo in Guadalajara, where he moved around frequently to avoid any possible attacks. Having no success, the Tijuana cartel hitmen decided to return to Baja California on the 24th of May, 1993. As Francisco Javier was at the Guadalajara International Airport booking his flight to Tijuana, informant tips notified him that Guzman was at the airport parking lot awaiting to a flight to Puerto Vallarta. 
having spotted the white Mercury Grand Marquis car where Guzman was thought to be hiding. About 20 gunmen of the Tijuana cartel descended from their vehicles and opened fire at around 4.10 p.m. However, the drug lord was inside a green Buick sedan a short distance from the target. Inside the Mercury Grand Marquis was the cardinal and archbishop of Guadalajara, Juan Jesus Posadas Ocampo, who died at the scene from 14 gunshot wounds. Six other people, including the cardinal's chauffeur, were caught in the crossfire and killed. Amidst the shootout and confusion, El Chapo escaped and headed to one of his safe houses in Bogambias, a neighborhood 20 minutes away from the airport. Wow, so that's how it happened. So it was just a misreported car. Yeah. He was I was actually, expecting them to be in the same room. Or for him to be like involved in it directly somehow, but it yeah. looks like it was just bad intel. Yeah, he was just waiting there and he saw them shooting up some other car. Oh, okay. I mean, <laughs> I hardly think that he's a good dude. Obviously, he was orchestrating a lot of these mm-hmm. shootings, but at the same time, it seems like the Tijuana cartels kind of incited a lot of the violence by way of yeah. things like, I don't know, beheading his friend's wife. Yeah. Like, it didn't seem like... That, that seemed to kick a little something off. Like, the fact that his wife was seduced, stolen money from, and then beheaded. <sighs> yeah. You know, that... I mean that almost calls for like that 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 calls for some action. I I don't really know how you like as a drug cartel leader you wouldn't react to that some way. Seriously, that that's just exceptionally violent. So I mean, uh, yeah, not a good dude, but I understand I understand his reaction. <laughs> yeah. I can. I can almost empathize with him a little bit, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so, but I'm glad we found out how it happened. Like, yeah. why the... And it does still seem weird to me, though, that the Mexican police wanted to arrest him because of that. Like, they wanted to arrest El Chapo <laughs> because somebody said, hey, El Chapo's in that car. And everybody said... And 14 guys got together with guns and said, okay, let's shoot it. <laughs> and then that happened to be the car that this like bishop was in. Yeah. Like, and suddenly it's like, well, El Chapo, you're supposed to be in there, so it's your fault now. Come on, <laughs> go to prison. You're a drug lord, so that I don't know. Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah. I mean, obviously the bishop probably didn't go around killing people, but and he definitely didn't deserve to die. Do not get me wrong. Yeah. I just. Uh, Man, what are you paying ten million dollars to the police force for? Am I right? <laughs> oh man, crazy stuff. I think you're right, though, Eric. I think this would make a fantastic little uh, uh, podcast type thing. Fantastic little movie, fantastic little screenplay. Hey, you know this. I mean. It could be anything, really. It could be a miniseries. Yeah. It could be the sequel to yeah. <laughs> uh, Netflix's, uh, what is it, Narcos? Yeah. Whatever it is. I mean, yeah, they could just uh, go on just to another Whatever. Whatever they want to do with it, I mean. It needs to be just, told, though. <laughs> it's a good story. Yeah. I'm really, really glad that we There's a lot stumbled of upon time. this. Yeah, this is great. This is great. Story wise. Story wise. Right. Not necessarily right, for the yeah. human tragedy of it all. Yeah. 
But for some of the antics, but, for some yeah. of the antics, it's still entertaining. Yeah. This yeah, this is a very interesting little story here. But yeah, that's from Operation Black Swan to Hokin Guzman. So um, Yep, go ahead and visit facebook.com slash TWC podcast. Give us a like and follow. And head over to iTunes and rate and review us. And we also have our website, twc.ericterribio.com. And you can find the episodes there. You can find other things. You can find links to articles and such as well. And I would like to thank Louis Armstrong for our theme song and Billy Jones and Ernest Hare for our outro song. So thanks again for joining us. I was Eric. And I was John. And this was the Wikipedia Chronicles. Number one drug lord of all time. shocking. I could have sworn that it would have been Pablo Escobar. Even still, I felt like he had yeah. More than one billion. But I guess El Chapo actually had a net worth of one billion. Mm-hmm. That like he had that much property and assets. Intense, but, but actually kind of nice to read about something that's like happening at all. Yeah. It's a very recent drama. Yeah, yeah, we don't get anything this current no, <laughs> I don't think no. we've ever except for that one time where it was like a couple like one month uh, like out from when it happened or something what was that I don't know it might have been a bridge or something yeah yeah something collapsed I, I do remember it was like ah oh, man we missed it by like a month but this is like something that's more internationally like yeah this is like this guy was, this like this guy was acknowledged thing. by Forbes. <laughs> this was a drug lord who Forbes was like, yep, that guy's rich enough and powerful enough, got put on the list. Yeah. He was literally the world's most wanted man for like ever <laughs> since he escaped and only was put down to number two when... Oh, yeah. <laughs> Yep. From meeting try cat liver, a man mm. jumped in the river. So cut yourself a piece of cake and make yourself at home. There's apple cake. And orange cake. And angel cake. And chocolate cake. And raisin cake. And nutty cake. So cut yourself a piece of cake and make yourself at home.